Welcome everyone to another episode of Wellbeing Wednesdays. I am your host, Courtney Weaver. I'm also the director over at WellWVU here at West Virginia University. And once again, I'm all by my lonesome today. So that means we're going to talk about yet another STI because that's what happens when I don't have a guest. Uh, And if you think like, man, isn't she going to run out of STIs sometime soon? Well, according to the CDC, there's actually 25 different STIs that are recognized, so we'll have plenty to cover. But actually, never fear, because next week I do have a guest lined up, so you won't have to hear me prattle on and on. But today, I thought that we would talk about a viral STI by the name of herpes. So let's start with the basics, all right? So there are two strains of herpes, um, HSV-1 and HSV-2. So HSV equals herpes simplex virus, that's what it stands for. So HSV-1 is generally seen as oral herpes. That's also known as the common cold sore. It's also just incredibly common in the population. A lot of folks get that when they're children, and I've seen estimates of anywhere between 50 and 90% of Americans actually have HSV-1. And then HSV-2 is usually considered to be genital herpes. So herpes is a viral infection, and I find it's easy to remember the viral infections because they all start with an H. And what's important about that is because it's a virus, it's not curable, but it is treatable. Herpes is transmitted through skin-to-skin contact, and we'll sort of dive into the specifics of that a little bit later. And someone is most infectious when they have an outbreak, but the virus can be shed from normal appearing oral or genital mucosa and skin. So we're going to focus a lot of our conversation today about genital herpes or HSV2. So let's start with how common is it? And it's actually so common. I literally in my notes wrote so common in all capital letters with an exclamation point. So how common? It's approximately one in six Americans aged 14 to 49 live with an HSV2 infection. And actually overall, the prevalence of genital herpes is higher because an increasing number of cases of genital herpes infections are actually caused by HSV1. So there is a higher rate of infection among female-bodied folks. Generally, that can be the case with most STIs because when you think about the vagina, it really just is one big mucous membrane. And so that makes it a little bit more susceptible to infections. And so most people who are infected with herpes may actually be unaware of their infection. An estimated 87.4% of 14 to 49 year olds who are infected with HSV2 have never received a clinical diagnosis. And just for everyone else's information, just so you know, I got this info from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. They have a detailed fact sheet about herpes. I'm gonna link to it in the description for today's podcast. So now let's talk about transmission. So like I said earlier, and by earlier I mean like 30 seconds ago, herpes is transmitted from skin to skin contact. So specifically, it's transmitted through contact with HSV in herpes lesions, mucosal surfaces, genital secretions, or oral secretions. So basically what happens is that the virus sheds and that can occur, like I said earlier, from normal appearing oral or genital mucosa or skin. Generally, a person can only get an HSV2 infection during genital contact with someone who has a genital HSV2 infection. However, receiving oral sex from someone who has oral herpes or HSV1 can result in getting a genital HSV1 infection. And then transmission commonly occurs from contact with an infected partner who does not have any visible lesions and who may or may not know that they are infected. 
So folks might not know that they're infected because most folks who are, are actually asymptomatic or they have very mild symptoms that go unnoticed or they're mistaken for another skin condition. When it comes to symptoms that you can see, um, and we talk about outbreaks, the first outbreak of herpes is often associated with um, a longer duration of the lesions. That means that also that there's increased viral shedding, so that makes transmission more likely. And then you might experience some systemic symptoms that can include kind of like flu-like symptoms, so fever, body aches, swollen lymph nodes, or headaches. And it should be noted that the first outbreak is usually in recurrent outbreaks, you might experience like localized genital pain or tingling or shooting pains in the legs, hips, or buttocks, which can occur hours to days before any lesions appear. But if recurrent outbreaks do happen, they don't last as long and they actually get less severe over time. Now, if someone has an HSV-1 genital infection, they have many less recurrences and shedding than an HSV-2 genital infection. To get tested for herpes, they usually do something called a viral culture test, so they'll swab the, the area. They might also just diagnose on site based on the symptoms, and then there are some blood tests that you can get done as well. Now for treatment, remember it's a viral infection, so it's not curable, but it's treatable. So there are antiviral medications that you can take that can prevent and shorten outbreaks. And then you can also take a daily suppressive therapy, which is another antiviral for herpes that can reduce the likelihood of transmission to partners. Unfortunately, unlike with like HPV or hepatitis B, there is no vaccine to protect against this particular infection. So now when we think about complications, I would say that the biggest complication that may arise is just some shame and embarrassment because there's a lot of stigma around this particular STI. I can't tell you how many times that I've had students come in and sit down and say, you know, I just received this diagnosis and now my, my sex life is over. So there is lots of, a lot of concerns on how it will impact someone's overall health and their sex life and their relationships. And you know, these feelings are valid since, you know, herpes is not a curable infection, but I think it's important to also note that it is manageable and you can really reduce the risk of transmitting it to future partners and reduce the number of outbreaks that you have with medication and other proper management. So one thing that you will need to do if you are living with this infection is that it's important that you disclose the infection to your sexual partners. If you don't know the best way to do that, or maybe it's just not something that you're comfortable with, I'm going to drop a link into the description of the podcast. MTV had this really great website called itsyoursexlife.com, but they actually talk a lot about talking to your partner about if you have an STD um, or STI, I should say. And they have some really, really good information because I think at the end of the day, it's about respect. It's about respecting yourself and respecting your partner and everyone's health. And then if you have an open conversation about it, you can also talk about the different ways that you can protect yourself. So in addition to talking to your sexual partners, something that you'll probably want to do is you want to just avoid having sex uh, during an outbreak just because that is when transmission is most likely to happen. You want to use suppressive antiviral therapy, which we talked about, and that'll help reduce um, outbreaks and the risk of transmission. And you'll also want to continue with consistent and correct condom use. Now, 
condoms aren't 100% effective in preventing, you know, all STIs. And, and for this one, because it's transmitted from skin to skin contact, if there is exposed skin, that the, then there's a risk. A condom that actually might provide a little bit more protection would be using an internal condom because when you're using that, the outer ring actually covers more surface area, whether you're using that for vaginal or anal intercourse, and that can give you a little bit more of a barrier between your partner and your skin. Another complication that you might see with herpes is that it can actually put you at greater risk for contracting HIV. The sores kind of increase it two to fourfold because what it does is it compromises your skin's integrity and your skin is a really great line of defense against STIs that are transmitted through fluids like HIV. So when your skin is broken, other infections are more likely to be able to get in. So now when it comes to prevention of this infection, you know, it's a lot of the same advice I've been giving the past couple weeks when we've talked about other STIs. I just mentioned correct and consistent condom use and that internal condoms may offer more protection. You also wanna make sure that you're using a barrier method during oral sex. So using flavored condoms or dental dams just to put that barrier between you and your partner. Of course, practicing abstinence is a great way to prevent all STIs, but again, that's not a choice that everyone wants to make. It's important that you're with partners who you know their sexual history and they know yours. And just as a quick reminder, sexual history isn't just um, your quote unquote body count, which is a terrible term. Just that's my opinion. It's a terrible term, but it's not, it's not a number. It's, you know, what you've done with previous partners, how you protected yourself, how often have you been getting tested? Those are the important things to talk about, not a number. If you are living with herpes, uh, just remember to not have sex or refrain from having sex during an outbreak, maybe engage in some other activities that are still pleasurable. And you'll want to take your medication daily to to reduce outbreaks and the risk of transmission. And you know, if you're really struggling with how to talk to your partner, or if you're just concerned about your sex life in general, there is counseling that you can seek. You know, there's, we have the Carew Center here on campus. We have that new service talk space, which is totally free for WVU students, and it's all done virtually. So take advantage of, of those resources that you have available to you. All right, well, that about wraps it up for me. So once again, I'm gonna put a couple links into this description of the podcast. I'm gonna drop the link for the detailed fact sheet from the CDC. I'm also gonna drop the link from the MTV website, It's Your Sex Life, so you can take a look at that if you're interested in, in learning more about how to talk to your partner. But thank you all so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I promise next week I'm gonna have a guest and it's gonna be great and you don't have to listen to me prattle on about sexual health anymore <laughs> or at least not for a while but thank you all so much for listening and we will catch you next time on well-being wednesdays